Extended Clip, episode 22. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And today, we're here to talk about the films of some of the most legendary Italian-American collaborators <laughs> of all time. I'm talking about Marty and Bobby, baby. This is the Irishman starter pack episode. You gotta watch <laughs> these movies before you watch Irishman to fully appreciate it and kind of get it. You're not gonna get it if you don't watch these two movies. Yeah, you have to see the headspaces of these artists, you know, at different points in time. The mm-hmm. Irishman, for those who don't know, is out in certain cities, and it'll be on Netflix soon. Yeah. And it looks back over a long period of time with these artists, and I felt like doing the same thing this week by picking out an early work by Scorsese for our A movie, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, his 1974 drama. And then I uh, flashed forward to see what his muse was up to in recent years. Uh, one of the great late career efforts from Robert De Niro uh, with Dirty Grandpa, the 2016 film by Dan Mazur. What did you guys think of this uh, selection? You guys have fun? Oh, yeah. I had a lot of fun. I was kind of like I was kind of like the Dirty Grandpa on vacation watching these movies <laughs> and going from city to city, you know. Well, it was it, it's a fun pairing, but it's also a tragic one. You know, <laughs> yeah. they, these films come together in content through their use of a widow as a protagonist. And that's true. We do recognize the titular character of Dirty Grandpa as the protagonist. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach Efron. No, that's true. Yeah, that's just be, a B story. Yeah, he might be the uh, technically the audience identification point, you know, but mm-hmm. um, no, the Nero's the guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although it is it is a great. One of the great Efron movies, to be honest. It's a great display case for his talents. <laughs> being a cut white guy. <laughs> yeah, being fucking ripped. <laughs> and singing. Like True. His, yeah. Kills it. It's definitely a key text in the Efronissance. Efronissance. There's you know, no doubt about it. Yeah, I remember I, I, me and my friends used to have a theory that like all the Efron movies were in the same universe. Like 17 again, We Are Your Friends, Dirty <laughs> Mike Grandpa. And, Mike and Dave. Mike and Dave. <laughs> I don't, yeah, Neighbors. I don't, I don't, I don't remember how that that worked but i'm sure it could happen yeah in some of them though he's like 27 and in some of them i think he's 19 mm-hmm. but or 17 yeah rather, 17 again well we all, we get older that's true <laughs> he could be pulling a boyhood on us all yeah. along could you imagine 10 years from now richard linklater just tells us i've been directing every single <laughs> scene that zach efron has been in since <laughs> me and orson wells <laughs> if only Zac Efron's, one of his great performances is in that really kind of average uh, documentary about Richard Linklater that's called like 21 Years or something like that. Oh, I haven't seen that. And it, it used to play on Showtime a lot. It's mm-hmm. a very basic made-for-TV kind of doc, and it just has a lot of his collaborators over the years, Ethan Hawke, Julie Delpy, uh, Matthew McConaughey, and they just go through his filmography, you know, in classic boring-as-fuck-talking-head style. Because yeah. Zac Efron gets in there a few times. Uh, and it's really great to hear Zac Efron wax poetic about the Before Trilogy and uh, Bernie and stuff like that. Oh, wow. I want to I hear him talk about the Before Trilogy. Yeah, it's, it's lovely. <laughs> so, I mean, we should just get right into our first picture. Uh, Alice doesn't live here anymore. This is a film that I watched almost four years ago, and I liked it, you know? Mm-hmm. I gave it three and a half stars on Letterboxd, which... 
to those who follow me know, I, I don't throw around these three and a halves like, <laughs> like hotcakes. Yeah, you get a three and a half. That's a that's a hard salute. But yeah. For, but for a legend like Marty, you know, that's kind of low tier for him. Sure. I, I don't have many movies below that of the 20 plus that I've seen from him. So I thought, you know, I should give this one another go. And I did. And it was absolutely spectacular. Blew me away. Now one of my favorite Scorsese movies, honestly. Not to get uh, straight to our ranking segment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I have. I feel like Scorsese is definitely one of my, you know, favorite directors. And I feel like maybe I've seen around 10, which is like kind of maybe not as much as, you know, others, you know, because he is so popular. People run through his filmography. But this is, yeah, this is definitely, I, I'd rank this very high. I really enjoyed this a lot. And like, I really kind of like this era of like in the mid 70s, kind of like. Up all the way up to New York, New York, which I'm a huge fan of too. I, I gotta see. I think New York, New York might be the next narrative one that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I kind of wanted to take my time with him and like savor every last one and know that I'll never run out. But sure. at a certain point, I just kind of wanted to dive in. And so <laughs> I've watched. You know, since The Irishman, I've watched I think five more this week. Ooh. And you know, I, I'm on a bit of a run, and this one really w- just hit the fucking spot. Yeah, I think. I'm just briefly looking at Letterbox now, and I think I've seen like maybe like 15 mm-hmm. Martys, and he's one of them where it's like I don't like long term. I never would list him as like one of my favorite directors, um, but like every time he sort of pops back up in like the discourse cycle, or like if just like watch like I watch uh, like one of his movies again, it, I'm always just like taken aback why like he like he's like a cliche like intro filmmaker, but he's so fucking good at what he does and i was coming like hot off the irishman as well and i was eager to watch another flick of his and uh yeah alice really blew me away Mm -hmm. that's what i kind of like about him is that like i feel like a lot of seasoned movie watchers still have a great appreciation for him as well but you know people who are just getting into it or not even like that interested still really see him as a name it's kind of Almost near universal. I know he has his critics, but like it's a lot of people like him, and it's 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 fun to enjoy movies with people. I also feel like I mean part of the the ability that everyone can like appreciate about him is because he does so much for like film culture. Oh yeah, as well like movie preservation and just like bringing like attention to like lesser uh, directors. Like he's really about like helping helping young artists rise up and just like. Uh, I don't know. I think that's a lot of people can see how admirable it is. He's just uncancelable. The people, the Marvel <laughs> heads want him to stop, but no, he, he can't. He just keeps trucking. Yeah, I, I, I was wondering what you guys thought about the issue. Do you, are you guys team Marvel on this one issue <laughs> or or would you rather side with Scorsese? I don't I don't know. I'm kind of I still haven't made a decision. Yet. You need to weigh all the evidence. Yeah, first. I was going to say. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about uh defending, you know, a guy who's made his career glorifying straight white criminals, True. You know, straight white male criminals that is, you know, the same story every movie. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's like his movies like The Sopranos or uh <laughs> Wise Guys, Bronx Story. Um yeah, it really it really led me down a wrong path in life, you know, maybe kind of a, <laughs> you know gangsterism tendencies and you know i really you really can't do that type of stuff when i watched his movie italian story with uh <laughs> sorry rather that's italian movie starring james gandolfini it <laughs> it really just had a negative impact on my life and i got into racketeering and hating women <laughs> and you know 
did he direct that movie last year with Hayden Christensen yes. and uh, Emma Roberts about yes. a pizza shop? Oh, Little Italy. Little That's what Italy? it's called. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's probably my favorite by him. But yeah, probably. I mean, because the thing about him, he likes to stir the sauce. You know? <laughs> <laughs> He's a director who will toss the dough, spread the sauce, sprinkle the cheese, and he, lay down the pepperoni. This guy, he tosses the dough up in the air, and then he goes and sprinkles yeah. some uh, rosemary on something else, and then comes back and catches the dough. You and know? he blows a little kiss with his fingers <laughs> as he's doing it. Marvel movies, they don't know a real slice of pizza. They don't know real pizza. You got guys like Joe and Anthony Russo uh, worried about, you know, their focus puller. And, yeah. You know, Scorsese's over here. He's chopping up garlic with the uh, razor blades. Yeah, Scorsese's kind of like an original famous Rays. And then uh, <laughs> the Russos are just like garden variety dominoes. Yeah. yeah Wonder sure. bread wops, dude. <laughs> With that being said, <laughs> let's get right into Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. So it opens in that classic aspect ratio that you mm -hmm. know and love, Academy. 1.39, or sorry, 1.33 rather to 1. Mm -hmm. And uh, you get those old school Warner Brother title cards and, uh, you know, a nice orange tinted or not really orange. Reddish sorry, orange. Reddish orange kind of yeah. warm tinted. Uh, vignette of Alice as a little girl yeah. getting yelled at by her mom and then the wind goes crazy and the camera pulls out and you know you get a nice little effect where the screen kind of minimizes itself and then flashes back in full widescreen uh, where you'll be for the rest of the movie mm -hmm. and now you're in the present day in Sokoa is that the town that they're yeah, in? Yeah Sokoa New Mexico you know at the start of the movie I had to you know take my DVD out of the player and blow on it because I, I was like <laughs> Is, is this Suspiria by Dario Argento? Like, what are these these deep gels, these reds? Although it's probably not gels, but yeah. Yeah, I had to uh, take my uh, hard drive out and, you know, blow the dust off of it. And I was saying, is this, is this a full screen presentation? <laughs> Did they fuck up the aspect ratio? Yeah, I had to rewind my VHS copy that I had taped from a few years ago when it played on AMC and check to make sure it was the right aspect ratio. So then it goes back into the, you know, the mode that the rest of the film will be in. And Marty is, you know, he's doing his classic maneuvers, but he's doing it a little more subtly. And uh, it's really great to appreciate his style in this somewhat subdued form where he kind of lures you in. And then there are certain scenes where he just gets as ex expressive as he ever is, you know, and just goes crazy with the camera movements and the editing. And it's a really great approach to this material because it is like most of his films, uh, you know, a really heavy emotional drama at the core of it. But rather than putting that under genre undertones, it's pretty much just a straight up melodrama like he's never done, uh, like mm -hmm. since, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not as familiar. He's done I mean, melodramas, yeah. but they're all within other things, like Age of Innocence. Yeah. That's yeah. like, you know, a period literary thing. That's its own genre, kind of. I feel like this is his only, like, pure, just straight up, give me the Kleenex, you know. Yeah, maybe that's why he starts it in that, that little aspect ratio. Huh? That's yeah. true. Um, But yeah, I feel like those moments where he does go big uh, formally, I feel like it works so perfectly for this material because it's like so much. I mean, you're occupying like a heavy amount of Alice's headspace. And then like it makes experiencing like those personal moments so much more. Like I feel like the first time I really like copped onto it like i mean i was in on board from like the the opening sequence but 
um, when she's doing her first piano performance at the bar. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, the camera's just gliding around the bar stools. Yeah, yeah, it just glides around her, and just, like, you get, it makes that, like, just, like, a very minor interview where she's, like, singing just, like, such a big moment, and, you, it, like, it's so much easier to, like, feel that with her. Mm-hmm. And, like, also the first scene where she just plays piano uh, in her house really it strikes me, too, like, oh, post-funeral, yeah. and it you kind of get, like, this the shot where it follows them in the house, but from outside the house and you see like her silhouette in the window and then it, you know, transitions to her playing the piano, which is just, you know, shot in a lot of like really expressive and creative ways. Yeah. So you mentioned a funeral and, uh, to get the exposition out of the way. Yeah. Uh, we open on Alice getting just like yelled at by her husband and, you know, the old twerp kids running around, but he's having a good time, you know, <laughs> a, a great introductory shot of the little boy, Tommy, just head down, like speakers pointed directly into his ears, mm-hmm. listening to Mop the Hoople. <laughs> Jamming. Just absolutely vibing. Uh, and you could see, I feel like that shot is what put me on the wavelength this time of like Scorsese's relationship to this character and you know Alice is obviously his protagonist but I think that's what makes this relationship work so well in the film is how invested Scorsese is into capturing uh you know parts of his own youth I'm sure mm-hmm. and just youth in general and uh it makes for a very emotional relationship uh mm-hmm. so the dad dies in an accident shortly thereafter and they hit the road. They got to get out of there. You know, mm-hmm. uh, she's going to go back to Monterey, California, where she's from and mm-hmm. take her son with her and get a job singing back there. Because that's the only kind of job she's ever had. Sure. Grew up near Monterey, California. So, you know, shout out. Shout out to all those listening at home. <laughs> I, uh, I, I went there with my dad a couple times as a kid. Uh, yeah. The aquarium. There, yeah. You know, great aquarium. They used to have a great white shark, but it kept eating other fishes. <laughs> So what did they do to it? <laughs> they uh, murdered it. <laughs> public execution for its uh, its wrongdoings. They cost them a lot of money. Ate a lot of rare fish. That that type of shit doesn't go unpunished. <laughs> so you get really just like a legendary road trip scene in my eyes. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. It really just hit me fucking like a ton of bricks. I will not front here, boys. I was reduced to tears when... Uh, they are driving away and just like right away he gets into his stupid little are we there yet shtick and she like hits him on the shoulder mm-hmm. and then it just like cuts to that wide shot of the uh, freeway that they're on being intersected by a bridge at the lower part of the screen and it looks like kind of like an upside down cross and the car just shoots vertically up, you know? Mm-hmm. Are we there yet? Ah! and uh, daniel by elton john uh not exactly a friend of the podcast Uh, (laughs) i'm not a a big elton john fan necessarily but that song is very good don't look back you'll turn into a pillar of shit the whole state is shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, Scorsese you know, is constantly just cutting away from the car, though, and to the exterior, and you just hear the sounds of passing by cars over mm-hmm. the soundtrack, and then back into it. And he does that as a way to pass time, like, really just breezily, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that sequence as well. And that also, like, got me pretty choked up. I mean, like, 
I feel like parts of this that are really successful are just like like subtler more like stuff that he would play uh bigger in like a larger like genre film yeah um but like with this it's still like he's doing those same things really well like with music i think throughout all of his song selections are like work really well with the material yeah there is some really legendary needle drops in this honestly <laughs> like yeah. he Obviously, Scorsese's he's not fucking around. He likes that old time rock and roll, and uh, <laughs> it's on display here. He doesn't just like using it for gangsters; he likes using it for moms. Mom, hey, moms could rock out too, and little boys can rock out to Mott the Hoople as well. <laughs> so once they stop in Phoenix, Arizona, they get into a little motel, and she wants to make a little money there to get them to Monterey because she only has you know a couple hundred bucks after the funeral. And she tries to get a job singing in a bar, and she goes to, I think, four different bars mm-hmm. to apply to jobs, it seems. Uh, well, three to apply, and then one, they go to a piano bar to try out for another one. Mm-hmm. And all these bars look kind of similar, and Scorsese takes a similar stylistic approach to them, too, where like the hallways are really dank, and usually the characters are kind of backlit like when she's entering the bar. And then once you're approaching the bartender and all the stools, he's just gliding along the bar like the whole time. And it's just beautiful, smooth ass camera work. Yeah. And you get to you get a great sense of environment. And that's something that's felt throughout, you know, all this movie, all the different environments that Alice, you know, occupies. But, you know, a great daytime bar environment too. just in all those four scenes, you know, kind of a kind of a seedy place, not the, you know, nicest environment. Yeah, so she ends up getting one bartender to listen to her sing, and uh, she nails the audition. What can I say? Mm-hmm. It's a stunning scene. She's playing on this cute little electric piano. Uh, the tone of the piano that she plays throughout the first half of this movie is so good. It's just, I don't know what it is, a cheap little Casio thing probably, uh, but man, that thing is a nice little warm sound that matches her voice wonderfully, and all of the song uh, scenes... <laughs> <laughs> All of her performances are filmed, you know, more expressively than the rest of the movie. There's a lot mm-hmm. of very quick cutting and, uh, you know, some dissolves and, you know, obsessively framing her around these lights and is really like gauzy kind of texture to it. And uh, so that's her gig for like kind of the middle chunk of this movie is singing at a bar in Phoenix. And that's where she meets her first suitor <laughs> cowboy Kaitel. <laughs> yeah i guess he's not really a cowboy he just wears a cowboy hat and like the first time we meet him but yeah i thought he was a cowboy straight up yeah i thought it was the, is this chris christopherson already yes. <laughs> whoa so harvey Kaitel's character is just like insistent on dating her and you know he's he's all sweet on her and everything and well what do you think happens boys he went from nice core to, you know, a little little something more sinister. A little more cancelable, if you will. Yeah, yeah. he's one of those fake nice guys that's like, oh, I'm yeah. so fucking pissed. Like, why don't women want to be with a nice guy? But mm-hmm. then he's like, you stupid fucking cunt in yeah. the DMs. Yeah. Yeah, why won't my wife and my mistress both just shut the fuck up? <laughs> why don't they just fucking chill? Like, yeah, I'm married. Big deal. <laughs> This this scene kind of really that really assaulted me too when he oh, uh, yeah. burst through the house and of course it's one of the more lively scenes in the movie but that 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 was one that made me like made my eyes swell up too for yeah. some reason because it's just no, how it's intense rough. it is yeah he dates Alice for a little bit and then his wife uh, comes to the motel and she kind of explains herself and you know Alice is just distraught and 
Well, Harvey Keitel comes in and he's angry and he's just fucking screaming and hitting and knocking shit over. And yeah, this is one of the couple scenes that is all in handheld kind of shaky cam. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Scorsese deploys that pretty tastefully in this movie. Uh, This scene, like he does that classic thing where you linger on the space that the people were in after they leave, you know, for a couple seconds just so when you cut to them on the road getting the fuck out of there it's that much more impactful and it's those little moments like that that just Mm -hmm. make up the entirety of this film kind of no yeah and like the deployment of kind of like his like somewhat shaky still shots you know they're not completely still but like Mm -hmm. yeah the the slight shake like it's it's all really effective another thing in relation to sort of like the the camera work and the general like melodrama of it is even though it's like this big like expressive like large like it's small but still larger than life i think the depiction of like poverty is really admirable and Mm -hmm. it like is felt with like such a deep understanding like part of like when uh before kaitel comes in it's like she's sort of stuck in that job because she like doesn't have like she's not saving enough for them to leave and just like various points you get like touches of that and just like how real like real world their like struggles with money are yeah there's a lot of attention to detail there you know Scorsese's says he's always focused on money whether his characters are very greedy or just trying to get by and there's a lot of talk about literally the exact amount of money they have on them and you know how much per hour she's making or how much in tips she can get or what is the minimum salary for her pretty much to be able to like keep saving up you know the the kid even knows oh you got to yeah. get a job that at least pays 50 bucks a is it 50 bucks a day or 50 bucks a week i, I think I 50 a week and that, yeah that's another thing i mean it's old time money mm-hmm. <laughs> it's old yeah. money old money yeah i'm more focused on you know what i'm making now but I'm, I'm looking at the money of the future <laughs> but like yeah just how you mentioned how the son is always asking like you know how much money they have like his involvement with his mother you know as like a kid you know maybe knowing more than maybe you'd want your average child to know about you know the background you know even implies that like he asks like did you sleep with like kaitel Mm -hmm. or whatever and it's just it really kind of makes their emotional bond even much more stronger you know even even if it's like somewhat you know you probably don't want a kid maybe knowing all this stuff but like being such a you know since since the circumstance calls for it it, the emotional bond all right i lost the thread really no (laughs) i I think like i it's like for me that goes hand in hand with alice it it would be very easy to make her like entirely sympathetic yeah i feel like she's not a perfect mother by any means but like she's trying and really doing like a good job and like even though like it's like i don't it's questionable whether that like level of intimacy is a good thing yeah but i think it just like god damn it i'm sorry <laughs> hey it still worked hey. i knocked over the uh headphone amp i think yeah i think what i was trying to say is that the yeah and even the kids depicted as somewhat of a brat too probably more so of a brat most of the time honestly even though you know of course there's still you know tender moments but yeah the nuance of their relationship makes it really believable and really more um emotionally impactful yeah i mean when he's crossing the line you know she Mm -hmm. always reacts negatively as any parent would but then Mm -hmm. she also kind of plays it off and jokes around back with him and Mm -hmm. she has more of a open you know uh conversational relationship with her son than most moms probably would at that Mm -hmm. point in time 
And yeah, this is kind of her big disagreement with the Chris Christopherson character who seems to be the most likely suitor, you know? Mm -hmm. So they go from Phoenix to Tucson, Arizona, all the way to... To <laughs> to, Tacoma. I honestly was gonna. Say, I thought that's what it was, but it's not Tacoma. It's Tucson. Tucson, yeah. yeah. Uh, Philadelphia, Atlanta, LA. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they go to Tucson, and she gets a job waiting tables. And I gotta say, man, having just quit my fucking yeah. serving job a couple weeks ago, like some of the anxiety that she gets from that is so real. Like the way that that shit builds up is so realistically displayed and the way that Marty just assumes the environment so naturally. I don't know. There's like very few kind of like restaurant movies where the mise-en-scene feels so lived in. And this is only for Mm. a third of this movie or so, but it's so perfect. I'd love to see Marty just make a full on restaurant movie. Like that would be amazing. Yeah. But (laughs) the inner workings of like how people treat each other at work and how, you know, sexist it is of a job. Like you're getting just absolutely harassed by customers and coworkers alike as a woman working those jobs and just how miserable it is for everyone other than the guys who just want their fucking hash browns and grits and shit. Uh, they're having a good time. <laughs> but it's very, it very quickly dispels of the notion of that being like below her, you know, mm-hmm. food service work. And I think that is like pretty important to do. You know, I I feel her though, because it's like, I, I've yeah. only been able to have food service jobs. I've made like a hundred dollars over the years outside of food service since I was like 17. That's yeah. my only way of making money for whatever fucking reason. Uh, and it feels like fucking degrading work when you're doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, totally. uh, so it's, it's very good to see. I don't know. It's a very mm-hmm. realistically portrayed environment. Oh it, yeah. Or, oh, sorry. sorry. But yeah, you're really like, that's a good point where he's very smart in avoiding like a trapping you see in a lot of movies where someone has to work a service job and then it's like, Oh, but I, you know, I, I really want to be an artist or yeah. something like that. And of course she still, she still does, but it, it, uh, it doesn't like, yeah, it, it shows the humanity within these places and mm-hmm. stuff like that. The depiction of service work is phenomenal in the sense that like once she gets to that job, like working in the diner, it shows how like all consuming that is to mm-hmm. sort of the world uh, that you inhabit when you're working there. Like her closest friends become like uh, other waitresses at yeah. like the diner. Like, of course, she meets like Chris Christopherson there at the diner itself and just like so much of the drama just becomes central to that point. And like even conversations outside of like things that are taking place there. The one scene that I absolutely love is where she's talking to one of the other waitresses and it's just like the close-ups of the two of them mm. like talking about like her like oh, yeah. uh opening like a button on her shirt to like oh, yeah. uh, to like make more money and like tips and it's just like it's beautiful and just like so intimate and you get to see like these real like lived-in experiences in such a uh, beautiful way. And I love that scene because it cuts to it from the restaurant to them in close-up and it just stays on them in close-up and long take and then it cuts kind of across the 180 degree line. You just get the reverse, but the background's so obscured, you can't really see anything. And then it goes to a wide at the very end of the scene and you realize where they are. Mm -hmm. It's just like they are you know, able to just transport to a better place when you're just with someone that you can talk to openly. You're not in this fucking parking lot, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think just the very primitive use of like using close ups there to portray that is 
excellent. I don't know. No, yeah, it's it's. I mean, that shot is amazing. It, it's one of the best shots I feel like I've seen in like a, a while. Yeah. I was really struck by the the two profiles. We've been dancing around this whole Chris Christopherson thing. Yeah. <laughs> he 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 himself as an artist is a plot point in Taxi Driver, and uh, mm-hmm. is he in another sources? I don't know, but he's really great in this as mm-hmm. kind of what seems to be the ideal man, you know, or the closest thing you you could get. You well, know for what his I mean? first twenty minutes, or yeah, so, no, you know, for that's sure. like you've seen her just like get tossed around by these absolute dirtbags. Mm. Even Harvey Keitel, you could tell he's a fucking shit kicker. True, like, yeah. Right away when he's like, she's trying to shoo him off and uh, yeah. I will always love you is playing in the background. <laughs> it's just like one of the most beautiful scenes, you know, because she clearly doesn't want to, but she's like, do you really want to know? Yeah, I really want to know. Alright. I have a 12 year old kid stashed in a motel who's bored out of his skull. I'm not making enough money in this place, and I cut my little finger on a tin can this morning opening some peaches, and it hurts like a son of a bitch every time I play a chord. And if one more guy makes a pass at me in this place, I'm gonna sock him right in the face. Sorry about your finger. Fuck, I'll just give this guy a chance. Yeah, you know. he's too giggly. Yeah, he's too... It seems, seems evil. Yeah, he's got that youthful energy, man. <laughs> and Chris Christopherson just rolls up with that big welcome home daddy beard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, just, just give me a smile, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is so not cool. Oh, my God. That, that's like the most indicting things. Like the best that she, like for how awful her circumstances are, is that the best she can do is a guy who's telling her to smile at work. Like that sucks. <laughs> but he is, you know, he's a classic man. <laughs> He's hey, better than the rest. Exactly. So he, you know, he takes little Tommy on a couple adventures, you know, and he has a he has a ranch and he's divorced, but uh, he frames it in such a dirtbag way where he's like, oh, man, I let her go. You know, I <laughs> held the door. <laughs> but they grow closer and Tommy has his birthday and, you know, he's growing closer to um, not Tacoma fucking Tucson. OK, yeah. <laughs> he's growing closer to Tucson, too, because he has a little uh, a little young love with uh, young Jodie Foster, mm-hmm. uh, who is an absolute badass character, just trying to get him high on whippets the whole time <laughs> <laughs> and then finally gets him to drink and just like gets sick and arrested. <laughs> Yeah, they steal some shit together. Yeah, they steal some guitar strings. She's pulling the scheme like it's every day, you mm-hmm. know. She just falls and the guitar store guy helps her up and uh, little Tommy steals some strings because those shits are expensive. And they just want to rock out together, you know. <laughs> and listen to rock music. Not the hoople, man. <laughs> uh, so he's getting a little more used to it and, you know, it seems like, hey, this guy's pretty cool. We could just settle in here with him and live on his fucking ranch. And then the birthday comes and everything just breaks down. All the tensions that have been building finally just break through. And uh, he gets in an argument with the kid and he ends up fucking hitting him. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, the kid fucking deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> no. I hey, that's, hey, that's what uh, all kid hitters say. Yeah. No, I, I actually love that Like Scorsese didn't even allow for the excuse of he hit me first because like the kid is fucking antagonizing the shit out of him he's mm-hmm. being as bratty as he's been the whole movie yeah. and christopherson has already talked about how you know like got to be a little stricter on him whatever and so he just absolutely implodes because the kid makes fun of his record collection <laughs> and calls it doesn't he call it shit kicker music yeah. or something like that yeah. yeah that's the equivalent of calling uh someone's record collection butt rock yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> 
and then he hits Chris Christopherson. So Christopherson fucking shoves him into the couch, just like w- like nothing, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, that must have been a really fun scene to shoot. Oh my god, I'm sure so much. Just fun, pushing yeah. down an 11 year old a few times, I feel like a big man. I feel like I didn't I didn't perfect that one on that tick. Could we do another one? <laughs> I don't think people will buy it. <laughs> But Mr. Christopherson, <laughs> you broken my face. You want to act, kid? You want to be in this fucking biz? <laughs> you fucking line up. Take the hit. She has her emotional climax kind of as her boss slash, you know, head waitress kind of leads her to the back while she's having a nervous breakdown on a shift. And it's really great handheld camera work. Once again, Scorsese just like going from the floor of the restaurant to the kitchen to kind of the back kitchen dishes area to the storage back out to the parking lot uh where you don't get any wide shots of the restaurant as a whole but you just see it as it's going by as all of her emotions are like flooding through and they have this heart to heart in close up in a bathroom stall and uh meanwhile it cuts back to the restaurant since there's only one waitress working now and she's just stacking (laughs) like nine dishes at a time and just like these five second bursts of like manic energy of everyone just flipping the fuck out in the restaurant (laughs) while they're having the you know most somber emotional conversation in the movie really great way of balancing it out you know so then she goes back and she sees chris christopherson sitting right there and she wants to just run away from it but she just lays down the fucking law because she loves him. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's kind of a he's a flawed guy. She's a flawed gal. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she just lays down the fucking law while she's serving tables mm-hmm. uh, and tells her her demands. And he meets them. He goes all in. Yeah. He goes all in. He's Shit's got to be different. He's yeah. a little bit, you know, all, he's a little bit selfish to open. But what can you expect? It's men. Yeah. I mean. That's just, hey, that's just what we do. And her demands were met, which is that they're going to get the fuck out of there. He's Mm got to get rid of that stupid ass ranch and they're going to go back to Monterey. So, you know, Tommy, maybe he wanted to experiment with whippets next semester at school. But I think it's still, even though it's not a perfect situation, it's still a very happy ending with a little bit of bitterness to it because... You got to make sacrifices and you know that it's not going to be a perfect scenario with Christofferson and that kid. You know, they even kind of brush that aside during their climax. They're just like, yeah, that's between me. Oh, and yeah, him. yeah. That's a great line. <laughs> me and the kid. We'll, we'll, fi- we'll work things that. out with the fucking kid. Yeah. So that about wraps up our thoughts on Alice doesn't live here anymore. Any uh, final thoughts before you shoot this one down, JT? Um. <laughs> yeah. Before I shoot her dead. Uh, I have a lot of things to say about Alice. I mean, one thing we didn't really like harp on too much was uh, the relationship uh, of mother and do- or mother and son. And I think like that is just so like, I mean, we talked a, a little bit about it with like um, their intimacy potentially like being like a little too deep, but like it's just like, uh, especially growing up like, with uh, like a particularly strong mother figure and like having that kind of like combative and like sarcastic relationship. My mom's stronger than yours. <laughs> <laughs> How much can your mom bench? <laughs> um, probably not a lot. I think my mom is a pussy and yours probably uh, would beat up my mom. Case closed. <laughs> uh, but this one's for the, all the mama's boys out there. And uh, <laughs> I gave it um, four bullets 
originally on Letterbox, but I think like just talking through this, uh, I'm gonna bump it up to four and a half bullets. Nice. Uh, yeah, I really like this a lot. I was transfixed by it, and I, I kind of had this thought, you know, maybe you know, if Scorsese he likes the longer length movies, I would have totally loved like just three and a half hours of this, just her her finding another shitbag boyfriend and just going through the cycle over and over again. Give me a, a mini series, and that we're, since we're in the Netflix era. Uh, Uh, I hate to burst your bubble here, but this was spun off into a TV show called Alice. Oh, hey, you're not bursting my bubble. You're you're bringing me good news. You're like a newspaper boy. Ellen burst in your bubble. (laughs) (laughs) Ellen burst and plays Alice, folks. For the IMDb heads at home. Yeah, four and a half bullets. I'm firing them in the air. You know, go go Scorsese, man. He's going he's going off. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the half bowl is like a water gun. Yeah. <laughs> or a pop gun. I love the shit out of this. It went up in my estimation from like the 16th best Scorsese movie to top 5. Ooh. Uh it's like right up there with his not perfect but like pretty much masterpiece movies like Goodfellas and Silence. And uh yeah, I think I moved up like 5 or 6 for him. So, yeah, it's four and a half bullets. I fucking love the shit out of it. And uh, I'm so happy that I programmed it. <laughs> <laughs> Great job, Eddie. We'll be right back on extended clip to talk about Dirty Grandpa. Hit me on the court and I'm trouble. Last week fucking brown got a triple double. And we're back on extended clip. Uh back with our favorite segment the middle segment that i think should be sponsored by letterboxd.com you don't know they're already uh sponsoring us oh yeah. okay cool i got a bunch of swag i got a bunch of like letterbox shirt that says like movies on it and like uh it has the three dots and all that shit i've been rocking that around town nice i got like a picture of robert eggers in the mail <laughs> <laughs> i guess that's my painting <laughs> so in our what we watched this week segment which does not have a title yet but has been ongoing for now 22 episodes true huh um well what'd you watch this week <laughs> <laughs> well you know since i usually started off why not why don't i just uphold the tradition I rewatched uh, a movie that I've mentioned on this podcast before, Last House on Dead End Street, which is, you know, quickly becoming a personal favorite. And I, I was thinking, you know, with an uh, episode we did in the past, uh, The Devil Probably and um, Postal, honestly, the more, uh, probably more intellectu- intellectually, uh, it, it, would, it, I, it took a lot for me to say that word. It took a lot of brain power for me to say intellectually. Intellectually stimulating pairing might have been Devil Probably last house on dead end street and i think i kind of when i recommended it i kind of almost dismissively did so kind of said like oh it was made by like a meth addict and it's somewhat inept and watching that i I really don't like the inept comment is kind of a reach it's it's just you know it's just really raw and you know you know if these kind of exploitation movies you know you want them as dirty as possible you want them to feel you know somewhat dangerous in a sense or something like that and like you know, this is this is it's really rough around the edges. I think is a better descriptor for it. And you have Roger Watkins directing and starring in it. And you know, there's some you doing some crazy shit. You know, him you know killing people, making snuff videos, and you know, there's even a scene where he's just running around saying, "I'm the director, I'm the director, I'm the director." And it's it's just you know it's really gross. There's a there's a you know and this might be even too hot for the cast, but there's a there's a scene where you cut to a porno studio and you know a man puts on a porno and it's a, the porno is you know a bunch of white people at a dinner party and the the husband who's hosting it makes his wife come out in 
blackface and they have uh the mentally disabled butler whip her multiple multiple times and you know this is you know it's almost it's very extreme and it's not even played you know it's it's something that's so over the top that you wouldn't it's almost like not disturbing sounds it kinda, like it would be in a fast bender movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it lasts a couple beats too long and it just becomes extremely uncomfortable mm-hmm. and i mean it might already be extremely uncomfortable for for the first beat you know for some <laughs> but but and then it just cuts back to them and it's just like, this is what sells. People don't want sex anymore. <laughs> you know, That's awesome. Like, it, it rules. It's a great movie. Like, check it out. Yeah. And I will. I also watched Fletch. Any good? <laughs> uh, no, it's pretty It's pretty bad. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I said this on Letterboxd. I'm recycling content. But, uh, you know, it's like it's a like a playful man about town and stuff like that. I was like, is that, I think that's what a Jacques Tati <laughs> movie is like. I'm pretty sure it's like. You know, just a colorful man parading around Los Angeles. It's yeah, one pretty of, much. <laughs> it's it's like it's one of those movies where like I kind of like the Rodney's. It's kind of the same format as a Rodney movie where it's just Chase spitting jokes at the camera twenty four seven, and Chase Chase's charisma has aged very poorly. Like <laughs> it's kind of it's a weird phenomenon where it's like you had to be there at the time. Damn. Yeah, I had an ancient ass uncle that would like constantly be recommending me Fletch. Damn. Like I think he only had like maybe five or six D- DVDs that he even knew how to like work, <laughs> um, and uh, they were all like Chevy Chase comedies. I think I watched one. Not good. No, he's not. He's not great. And like, like the vacation movies. Yeah, I. Re- I mean, I remember those somewhat fondly. Yeah. I don't know if revisiting them would do them any favors. Probably. It's that weird genre of comedy where kind of the throwaway lines are generally funnier than the big joke set pieces, kind of. But you know, in an age where you don't see much of it, you always got to give respect to the big budget comedy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when you when you got comedy with like big dumb set pieces respect yeah and honestly it's not like the reason why it's bad is probably just chase and it's a movie that's dedicated to platforming chase you know, none of the other characters really matter but it's not like poorly directed i think i think the guy who directed it maybe mike michael ritchie or mike I think michael richards mike N- <laughs> <laughs> it's it's some it's some fucking guy's name it's either michael <laughs> i don't even know anymore i think it's michael richards actually <laughs> But yeah, you know, I feel like I've already gone too long on Fletch. Uh, don't watch it. Damn. <laughs> so we're not gonna do a uh, Monsieur Hulot's holiday slash Fletch double feature episode. Well, I I'd, I'd be willing to do that, but I don't want to rewatch Fletch again. We could do Fletch Lives. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we could do the sequel. I'm I'm game for that. What about you, JT? Um, yeah, I haven't been watching a whole bunch of things. Certainly not things I want to talk about because <laughs> they've been, it's been all pornography and snuff films. I was going to say nice. some secret movies. We've uh, got to get back on our extended clip snuff grind. Like eight millimeter teased it out at me and now I want to return to that realm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really, it really turned you into a monster. A real. <laughs> Sorry, one quick comparison. Okay. Last House on Dead End Street. I feel like something could be edited into it. I haven't seen this movie, but from what I've heard described about it from you and from uh, the Important Cinema Club, mm-hmm. Chevy Chase's audio of when he's on Dan Harmon's voicemail, like calling him like a fat fuck or whatever, yeah. and like just cussing him out and like all that shit. I think that would fit in that movie, right? Definitely. Definitely would work. And yeah, I think Chase Chase should go dark. That's, 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 my, that's my new career move for him. You know, make some like dark 
fucked up films. Also, I, I hope to hope um, something I see when I drive around all day. Los, An- Los Angeles heads will know this. Um, <laughs> when you pass by Chevy Chase Avenue, oh and, yeah, and you know that the Chevy Chase Country Club is close by, it's a good feeling. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, JC? Okay, um, I watched one movie that I want to talk about. I watched other movies, but I'm not talking about them. Uh, this one was a Z and Two Knots, 1985, by Peter Greenaway, and I've only seen one other Greenaway film, but I definitely he's someone that I think is fascinating, and I want to dive into more. Uh, but Z and Two Knots is an all timer for me. It's like pretty much um, like Dead Ringers. Cronenberg um, got like a big amount of inspiration from Z and Two Knots, um, but it's about uh, two twin zoologists who were uh, separated at birth. Both of their wives are in the same car crash uh, where the woman driving gets like hit by a swan and uh, they become obsessed with like death and decay and also like sewing themselves uh, back together and start like fucking the same woman who uh, killed their wives. Damn, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it's so, really intense. Sounds more like Crash. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like aggressive and sexual. And from what I've heard, uh, Greenway's other work is like similar in tone and style. Um, but there are a lot of like really spectacular sequences where you're just sort of like watching like an animal corpse decay like through time-lapse like photography. And there's this Nyman score that for all you college boys out there i would listen i would throw on the zen to knots sound or score when i was studying because it's get mm. it's this really intense like music it's it gets you focused and in the zone and also reminds you that you could be watching a great movie um so zen to knots check it out yeah that movie is that movie is great I, I watched that a while back and it's so brashly like stylistic and he kind of has he does that thing where he flattens out the screen a lot that's really effective yeah, I still haven't seen any Greenaway, so get on it, dude. Do your homework <laughs> for the col- for all the college boys out there. Maybe you get out your notebooks. <laughs> Tell you what, the way you describe his films doesn't sound like I'm uh, putting the Greenaway to watch them. <laughs> for sure, <laughs> I'm using it. Yeah. Was there some movies that you're like? Do you I, get I, it? I, <laughs> are there some movies where you're like, I can't, I can't no. smoke weed to this? <laughs> Show up. Show up. <laughs> that one's a long one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hey, why do you think I haven't seen it? <laughs> you need to you need to smoke up before you see a show. That's but all, that's for green away, don't keep the green away. Bring the green out. It's uh <laughs> What about the Peter? Should I keep that up? <laughs> pull out your Peter, pull yeah, out your green. It's it's pretty fucking horny. That's also what I've heard. So, you know, I actually am going to finally check Get those movies stoned out. and yeah. ham off to Peter Greenaway's films. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we need to make a list. Best movies to get high and jack off to. <laughs> Jonathan Rosenbaum, come on the pod. I I was gonna I was gonna I mean maybe cut this out, but I don't know. I was gonna suggest uh, a double feature that was uh, movies I've jacked off to. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Um, I will only cut it because it's a spoiler. Uh, Do um, it. <laughs> but yeah, it was one. Uh, it was uh, Doctor T and the Women and the oh. Kentucky Fried Movie. I have Doctor T and the Women right there. <laughs> I, Wait, you jacked off to Kentucky Fried <laughs> Movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's like a there's like a um, 
a, a scene where they're like titties in like a shower. You you know the scene. <laughs> Have you seen Kentucky yeah, Fried like Movie? Seventies, eighties comedy nudity. Like that's the least sexy. But they were but like, when you're like ten years old. They, yeah, ten yeah, years yeah, old, yeah, yeah. and like you airplane see like nudity. big titties. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it really does a lot. And that did, that scene did a lot for me. Uh, I'm yeah. glad we could look back to all those year, all those three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> the the first uh, pair of movie titties for me was Airplane. So yeah. Yeah. No, Zuck- I think maybe same here. Zucker Brothers played a big part in our sexuality. I was thinking Terminator. See, I've heard a lot about Zuckerberg 2020, but I'm talking about Zucker Bros 2020. <laughs> but you know, didn't they make a? They're conservative, dude. Yeah, they're, they made the, the Kelsey Grammer uh, Christmas Story, like, uh, or not Christmas Story. What's the an like American the fable? Carol. American. Oh, yeah, an, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Christmas Carol thing with Kelsey Grammer. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I think it's American Carol. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the Zuckers made that. Yeah, sounds like a pretty good movie. We yeah. should cover that on the podcast. Yeah. Another the- movie I've jacked off to. <laughs> Another movie. Nice. Uh, Penis Boy, a movie I jacked off to. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, hey, let's just let it hang to this right now. Uh, we recorded a commentary track for the uh, epic uh, scavenger hunt of a film. <laughs> Uh, a magic trick of a film, <laughs> uh, Penis Boy by James Healy, and the fucking the powers that be don't want it out, and we lost the file like right when we tried to save it. So I'm sorry. As you know, we got compromised, but that's I guess that's the risk you take. You know, watching an underground film, sometimes the the dangerous results could happen when a film's that powerful. You know what they say: take risks, get hit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what did you watch, Eddie? Oh, yeah. Um, I watched a bunch of... Well, you know, I watched one that has been brought up on this segment. You know, a few months back, Malcolm talked about the Slumber Party Massacre 2. Oh, yeah. Sequel to an all-time classic. And I gotta say, sequel might even be better. It's yeah, insane. I like it more. I like it more. It's, and the only writing I could find about it was fucking, like, so bad it's good bullshit, like, mm-hmm. geekathon bloggers, you know? <laughs> uh, but it's a really shit. fucking great movie. <laughs> and I'm not gonna talk about it more in depth. Uh, just watch it because honestly the less you know about it just know that you're in for some psychedelic stuff brother yeah uh and rock and roll too you know that's a movie about how rock and roll will never die (laughs) and uh you know it's beautiful it is you know one funny you said you chose that movie because while watching alice doesn't live here anymore i've watched slumber party massacre 2 before i've watched this movie ever before and i was thinking that the this is a big stretch but like the 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 driving scene in Alice doesn't live here anymore. It kind of reminded me of the driving scene in Slumber Party <laughs> Massacre too. They are rocking out. They're know? rocking out just in like a uh, color palette and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Um, but there, you know, there's not too much to get in depth on there without you know really going into what happens in the film. Uh, so I'll just recommend it to you all. But I also watched some nonfiction work by Martin Scorsese. I watched American Boy, a profile of Stephen Prince. And that is a film that multiple films have borrowed from. Um, Pulp Fiction and Waking Life both have scenes that are based on stories that Stephen Prince tells in this documentary. And Scorsese basically just has his ex-druggie, still definitely on something friend, come over and shoot the shit and tell stories for a few hours. And he cuts it into a 50-minute documentary. And it's exactly what you want. Scorsese is on camera for a lot of it, but you could tell his like sense of framing. You know, it's very much a Scorsese film behind the camera and with him on camera as a great presence. 
um, there's one point where Stephen Prince is like complaining about his mom's food, and Scorsese just fucking barges into frame. It just drags his ass. He's like, mm-hmm. he's saying this about his own mother. <laughs> <laughs> and, very- and you look back to not his his previous nonfiction effort before that was the Last Waltz, the band concert movie, but before that was Italian American, where he's just talking to his mom about being Italian, and uh, it ends with like her sauce recipe. And to see that thread go through his nonfiction work of respect your fucking mom's cooking, you know, yeah. uh, those are the main threads of his nonfiction work. Rock and roll, very cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, this uh, this documentary is bookended by "Time Fades Away" by Neil Young off oh, of one of his yeah. best live album, one of his best albums, frankly. Uh, and also, like, if your mom's making some food, eat that shit up. Yeah. Uh, but he tells some great drugged out stories, and he tells one story about you know, quote unquote, having to shoot a man to death and just seeing his fucking eyes just being dead. Like it's a, it's pretty fucked up. It's like a really funny story because like, like all of these fucked up stories, the people who know them already are cracking up when he starts them. And they're like, no, you have to tell it. You have to tell it. He's like, it was an accident. It was an accident. And then he goes into the most fucked up shit, like of all time, you know, he electrocuted some kid to death. That purely was an accident, but He's dead inside completely. Uh, he plays the guy who sells Travis Bickle guns in Taxi Driver. And this was shot, I think, two years after Taxi Driver. Uh, and he also tells a lot of stories about being on the road with Neil Diamond. And oh. uh, just being on heroin the whole time. <laughs> and just imagining fucking Neil Diamond playing Porcupine Pie while this guy is just like <laughs> nodding out on the side <laughs> of the stage. It's just amazing. Um, so yeah, watch Martin Scorsese's nonfiction work as well as his fiction work because a lot of it is very good. Now, let's go to the other side of the coin. We're not talking about Marty no more. We're talking about Bobby D. Yeah. Our boy. Respect your mother. Why don't you respect your grandfather? <laughs> Especially when he just was trying to fuck. <laughs> He's just trying to fuck, be dirty, spread uh, the joy of vulgarity. So we're talking about dirty grandpa and I'm so happy we are. Um, you know, the raunch comedy, it hasn't gone away. It's just gotten a lot worse, you know? Mm-hmm. And this is one that just fucking gives it to you. It gives you what you want, you know? Give the people what they want. Dan Mazur knows this. <laughs> the auteur of the film. Yeah. Yeah, oh, man. I had to, had to look down at the notes for that one. <laughs> you could really see the Mazurian type vision <laughs> in display here. And even in the opening frames when it's uh, fucking like shitty photoshopped pictures of Robert De Niro and Zac Efron. Over the worst song ever. Over uh, Daylight, you know. Fuck, do, I was going to say. Just a time capsule yeah. of like, oh, this was only three years ago that that song was on the radio and, and all the advertisements well, and shit. But it wasn't. Like, Daylight Daylight was like a song in like 2010 or oh, like yeah, 2008 you're right, actually. or whatever. That's what is more fucked up about it. But not to get ahead of ourselves, but the there are a lot of very current music choices oh, throughout yeah, the movie. That, uh, oh, it's dated. great. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, I love when films are recognizable as time capsules only three years after they come yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, you get a nice little club scene set to I'm in love with the Coco, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's favorite one-hit wonder of the mid-2010s. OT Genesis. OT Genesis was invited to Leonardo DiCaprio's birthday party. I don't know why I remember this detail. Do you know if he attended? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be cool if he didn't. Look up the DJ Vlad interview of OT Genesis talking about going to Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio's birthday party. So, Zach Efron... He's a stuffy-ass corporate lawyer. You know, he mm-hmm. handles SLC 
DLS yeah. uh, DSL. DSL. DSL is what I meant to say. BBWs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He handles all that shit. BDSM. Uh, BDS. He <laughs> IDF. Oh, there's M&M. an IDF joke in this movie, yeah. actually. It's a really good oh. one. About like uh instead of like uh missile repellents, he does that with pussy. Yeah. Yeah. He calls him Alan Dushowitz. Oh yeah, that was which great. is just incredible. Ooh. That made me that made me roll, dude. That I had me... to rewind. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I was literally about to mention that right now because i was like i can't forget yeah, yeah no while we're way. on israel we have to <laughs> the dirsh oh god the dirsh uh not durs who you would think would be in this movie but dirsh he's too busy working because he's such a workaholic <laughs> i was gonna say he was too busy being in the intern and then i remember who stars in the intern <laughs> the star of this movie robert de niro um so we meet him at his wife's funeral and it's very sad and Adam Pally is all fucked up, and he's like uh, the cousin of Zac Efron. Mm-hmm. And you know he's kind of annoying throughout the movie, but he has a couple good jokes. You yeah, know, I think I I, I kind of struggled. I'm like, is this funny? Like, like you that know, that opening I mean? scene is not funny. That no, the vaping not, yeah. jokes, yeah. Uh, not funny. Yeah, there's like, hey, like vaping's out on the market now. Let's make a joke about that. But yeah. that's a lifestyle, and you need to <laughs> yeah. respect that. Yeah, I don't really get what's so fucking funny about that scene. <laughs> First of all, Clip remembers the vaping lifestyle. <laughs> But yeah, I think ultimately some of his bits kind of pay off. I feel like the dog stuff is kind of funny. It's annoying. At yeah, some it's parts. it's kind of funny when he's explaining it in detail. Like, yeah. it, it's a decent performer working with nothing material. Yeah, you know? I, I think he's kind of funny. Yeah, exactly. Pally's Adam Powell is funny. funny. Yeah. yeah. Uh, ever heard of a comedy podcast? You know, he's been on those. I actually, I, I'm more familiar with his sitcom work. The, I remember the last sitcom I remember enjoying was Happy Endings. Oh, people love that one. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, hey, check that out. Check out that OT Genesis interview and Happy Endings. <laughs> Our real recommendations <laughs> yeah. for this week. We meet him, and right away, he's you know he's not dirty right away, but he's mm-hmm. at least he's vulgar. a grandpa. He wants what he wants. You know, he yeah. wants to get out of, he wants to get the fuck out of this stuffy ass you know engagement party bullshit. Uh, you know that the environment of the funeral is literally just wedding planning, and uh, he hates it. And he wants his boy back because when he was a kid, when Zac Efron was a kid, they used to do model trains. Yeah, and they used to take photos and play football. You got to remember that he took photos. Remember that it's It'll, important it's when gonna, it comes back. It's gonna come back around. It comes back around <laughs> in a beautiful way. Yeah. Oh God, I hate that shit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's so bad. We'll get to it. Yeah. Yeah, the premise is like right there in the poster. He has to drive his grandpa down to Boca Raton, and his grandpa's dirty. And you know how you find out he's dirty now? He's jacking off. Oh, yeah, baby. In <laughs> uh, some uh, Austin Powers esque uh, framing, you know, <laughs> the bottle of lotion and the Kleenex are blocking his mm-hmm. hand and, uh, you know, his member, and which you see later, but definitely not De Niro's. Definitely, definitely not. A, a, definitely a dick double. Yeah, definitely definitely an inflatable dick. It looked fake. <laughs> I, I didn't rewind it. I was tempted to, to, to further examine it, but I was on a time crunch. I, I to, couldn't rewatch I, any scenes during this. I mean, it was just a coincidence I had to go to the bathroom at that time, so I just paused it. <laughs> so they hit the road, and much like Alice doesn't live here anymore, <laughs> you know, you get your inciting incident and you hit the road. Uh, structurally, these movies are very similar. <laughs> I noticed that after what watch I watched Dirty Grandpa first, and then 
I was Alice doesn't come here anymore. I was like, great, another road movie. <laughs> Alice doesn't come anymore. <laughs> that's the triple X version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm that's pretty sure Ellen Bustin. <laughs> <laughs> that's see, that's one criticism of that movie. When you make your titles too long, sometimes it's a little hard to remember. That's all I got to say. Okay, yeah. why don't you need to? You need Dirty to, Grandpa, take a page yeah, from absolutely. Dirty Grandpa. Dirty book. Grandpa, maybe take a page from Save the Cat. You got to have that money title. All right, <laughs> you got to be able to see what the movie is in the poster. That's it's all like, you need is the poster. Because it's like Alice doesn't live here anymore. It's like what the what the fuck does that? It's mean? all esoteric yeah. and navel gazy. Yeah, <laughs> too much navel gazing. <laughs> that film is ninety percent of people looking at their belly buttons. <laughs> No, so back to the, the clean, snappy, commercially viable product on our hands. Uh, and this is a consumer report show, so that's what we're yeah. grading these on. Uh, Dirty Grandpa, A+. Plus. <laughs> they hit the road, and they make a little stop, and that's where you uh, you meet Aubrey Plaza, and you meet Zoe Deutsch. Deutsch. Is that how you say her last name? Uh, she was also in Everybody Wants Some. Mm-hmm. And you meet their friend. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, 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 uh. was the source of and i think it's fitting for this movie uh from the voice of de niro to not Mm -hmm. know his name (laughs) Mm -hmm. because robert de niro completely ridicules him through the whole movie for being the uh the combination of homosexual and black and yeah this movie uh you know it has some uh, you know offensive material (laughs) let's just say it's a little problematic and you know when you say dirty it's like yes he he wants to fuck and that's not necessarily problematic although it might be to some but he's also dirty in a sense where he just he's let's just say he's he's probably not a fan of the pc culture this guy says what's on his mind yeah and the thing is he says what's on all of our minds (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah (laughs) (laughs) so uh while um dirty grandpa is at the liquor store uh zoe deutsch comes over to zach efron and i'm using the actors names because i i don't buy into these characters i don't buy it this yeah i mean efron but it's also a classic comedy star vehicle and it's all about movie stars of today and yesteryear coming together exactly you get that interaction it's almost like a like you, you have a VR landscape that someone created and you get to see, hey, De Niro working with Aubrey Plaza, isn't he a little old to be working with her? But no, it's that's the magic of movies. When you see Robert De Niro share the screen with Aubrey Plaza, <laughs> it's like an on Golden Pond when Henry Fonda is sharing the screen with Jane Fonda. <laughs> a cinematic passing of the torch. <laughs> oh man, I wish I could take myself seriously. So yeah, he like completely brushes her off and uh, it's not until they get to the parking lot that Efron realizes they they were pulling a little scampy little prank on them and Mm -hmm. they took some money. So, you know, classic rom-com situation. Hey, did you take my, wait a second. I know you. (laughs) And uh, they went to high school together, right? College? College. They had a photography class. Photography class. Yeah. She's still in college, right? Yeah. So what, 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 what is that? It's like he was like a senior taking a class and she, I mean, I'm not, you, I, how you, dare they mix classes yeah. like that? <laughs> uh, yeah. I was just, you know, I'll let the listeners do the math. Aubrey Plaza then meets the dirty grandpa who introduces himself as a professor. And Hey, what do you know? Aubrey Plaza just stated two seconds ago that she wants to have sex with a professor. So looks like there's a, uh, something. It's a perfect storm, as we like to call it. That's in, what I'm saying. In the academic circles. <laughs> see, in academic circles, we call it Chekhov's dick. You know, <laughs> in the first act, you see the combination of a horny man and a horny woman who clearly want to have sex. By the end of the third act, you're going to see it at least one time. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, 
it does savor it. Does. It knows about the power of a payoff. You plant the <laughs> seeds. We talked about this last week, planting <laughs> tomato seeds. <laughs> this movie listened. Cinema is a lot like farming. <laughs> I have to sit down, dude. When I stand up and do this podcast, it brings out the worst <laughs> tendencies. <laughs> stand up, Eddie. <laughs> I just like you wagging your finger <laughs> like you're at a lecture hall. <laughs> <laughs> oh man this podcast sucks <laughs> <laughs> this is the new era of the yeah we're <laughs> at like an hour 12 in like <laughs> uh well anyway so let's just kind of speed through the plot because there's yeah. really not much to say we just mm-hmm. got to get to the main points yeah yeah grandpa's horny he wants to fuck aubrey plaza that drives them spending time with like the uh the high school teens yeah they follow them to daytona beach and we're gonna keep calling them high school teens, teens. even uh, though they are of age this is parody <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was parody parody <laughs> parody law you can't sue us <laughs> or be mad at us zach come on the pod <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Robert De Niro just like sexually harasses and frankly assaults women along the way, like at the golf course when he's giving her the sw- the swing practice, you know. And the mm-hmm. thing about that is, it it clicked for me when he said that he's a professional golf instructor. That comedy movies, that is, you know, comedy on its own, whatever. Uh, comedy as a film genre is essentially pretending to be someone else to get laid until the end of the movie and then you come clean and maybe they get laid that's like what 90 percent of comedy movies are right that's true huh you're just pretending to be someone else for a while and you kind of just have to and i feel like that's not so much the case anymore this movie feels like a throwback it feels like a classic uh a a real popcorn classic if you will (laughs) but it really does feel like a throwback not quite to like 30s screwball it's not fucking bringing up baby (laughs) but at least 80s sex comms i mean there there is like there are like larger set pieces that are like i don't know Mm -hmm. i don't want to say employ sophistication but like they're they're multiple balls rolling like sure. different like elements brought back like the Manzukis character i oh, feel like great. as is yeah. the, some of the zany stuff jason Manzukis just bulldozes this fucking movie <laughs> yeah. and he's kind of become a trope in studio comedies now which is kind of annoying i mean good for him if he's getting that that yaper uh, <laughs> <laughs> yaper chaser <laughs> but i want to be making Manzukis money <laughs> oh man yeah like it's kind of annoying now you just like see him in a trailer for a movie it's like this is almost a parody of Mm -hmm. itself but in dirty grandpa man it works wonders he's Mm -hmm. great here as the drug pushing convenience store owner who is very friendly with the cops and the way that it also makes the cops just absolute bumble fucks is amazing Mm -hmm. yeah and i think the kind of the appeal of this movie maybe kind of boils down to kind of like the tone and posture of a lot of studio comedies to come out now. And it, it adopts kind of like the slobs versus the snobs, classic 80s. You know, that's a lot of, I feel like, early Sandler is yeah. like that, where it's, you know, it's these uptight people who, you know, get broken out of their shell by, a, you know, a silver-tongued uh, man who, you know, spits vulgarities and slurs. and But he's also a good guy, too. and but like, He's got a heart of gold. He's got a heart of gold. But honestly, I mean, and maybe 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 a person would disagree, but that's what kind of what I like about this movie is just maybe that other comedy movies kind of like take the side of the, the snobs, I would say. Like something yeah. like Game Night or whatever where you see a bunch of like, I don't know, fucking losers, like repeat, like TV style comedy or yeah. something like that. It's just like in like their suburban thing, you know, like very middle class and like, 
I don't know. Like, and I guess this movie's pretty middle class too. But uh, yeah, I mean, Efron is filthy rich. Filthy that, rich. See, I've never seen an episode of the show Succession, but yeah. I assume that's what Zac Efron's family is—is is Succession. Like, yeah. if we stayed with their family instead of going to Florida, we'd watch three episodes of that show. Yeah. Well, good thing we don't have to. Yeah. Uh, fuck that show. Yeah. Does Sight that unseen. Have, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Does it have Robert De Niro in it? Yeah. I don't I think. Not so. interested. Talking it, about his dick yeah. constantly. Doesn't have Dolmart Maroney in it? No, I don't think so. I have to say, man, that like, it's kind of a big trailer moment, I think, but obviously they cut around it. But the monologue that he gives on the golf course just about wanting to fuck, yeah. you know, truly yeah. one of my favorite De Niro moments of the last 20 years. Yes. Yeah. It's so good. Now you want to hit on college girls? You're, you're, you're jerking off to porn? Jason, what's wrong with I want to fuck. Oh my god. For the first time in 40 years I'm single and I want to fuck. Ugh. I want to fuck until my dick falls off. I want to fuck a horse and I want to drink its blood. I'm going to throw up. I was faithful to your grandmother every day for 40 years, even through the menopause, even through the cancer. She was the love of my life. I'll miss her every goddamn day, but she told me on her deathbed, "You get back out there again." I haven't had sex in 15 years, Jason, and I want to fuck, 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 fuck. That's the extended clip. <laughs> uh, that is our extended clip of the episode. Uh, uh, you were all waiting for it. What was it going to be? <laughs> but no, like there's there's such a charm in like, I mean, even if I think there are a lot of misses with jokes yeah. with this. Oh, yeah. But for sure. like the like when you have like Bobby De Niro spitting out, like talking about cocks and pussies for like. I, like that's all he's doing yeah. and the hits are like hit hard oh, like he they, goes off like there are a couple line mm -hmm. deliveries that are incredible here yeah. and it's like it's the the bad parts of it aren't insufferable enough to like not make the good just like so enjoyable well i say that and yeah. then you get deeper into the zoe deutsch Zach Efron relationship. This is the biggest glare. Yeah, this is the biggest glare. This is rough and then, stuff. And then, that is a zero star, or sorry, rather zero bullet romance, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm shooting both of them zero times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 kind of funny to laugh at, like ironically from yeah. a distance. It's not actually like funny in their intention, but very link later. A Link Latarian, if you <laughs> Link Latarian, will. Where um, both actors have worked for the man Ricky Link. So hey, <laughs> Ricky Link. The romance, the romance, kind of sparks with uh, the Zoe Deutsch character uh, r recognizing him from his photography class, and when they eventually get to the beach. There's a great scene where uh, he looks through her DSLR and criticizes, oh, you've become one of these people now. He <laughs> criticizes her very trendy style of uh, photo taking, and it's followed up the scene later where he like explains, but like, no, I'll take the picture for you or whatever. It's really funny because he, it's like he hasn't done photography in years, but he's like, oh, yeah, the lighting on the new 60D models is really sensitive. Let me show you how to do it, you know? <laughs> and it's also weird with like the fucking timeline of things, like, too, that it's like it's felt odd because it's like you haven't done photography in years, yeah, but he's like very clearly like fresh out of like college. Yeah, the timeline is a little weird, but that's kind of that. I hate to make an excuse for it, but it's part of what no, makes the I movie mean, that's... good is just being a stupid comedy where, uh, as I said, people are just pretending to be other people and all mm -hmm. the circumstances don't really line up perfectly yeah. and uh, it leaves you 
asking more questions <laughs> than it answers. But also, yeah. it's a terrible romance to watch unfold. Yeah, it's not great. And I think I, I like I like both of those actors. Like I've seen them Me do too. good work. So it's just it's really them kind of having nothing to float on in that scenario. Yeah, no, it just drains like the humor out of like the movie in those scenes. Yeah, and speaking of draining the humor, man, when they go and meet Danny Glover, uh, <laughs> it's pretty funny, you know, and yeah. he's uh, Robert De Niro's old war buddy, and at this point, the odd couple, they're pretty pissed off at each other. Efron just wants to, he's already been arrested, you know, he just wants to drop off his mm. dirty-ass grandpa and go back to his his bitch of a fiance. Yeah, oh, yeah, there's he that. He hates his fiance. The, the oh, my God. Total total bitch wife. Yeah, the, the fiance <laughs> character Our is fiance. like... Oh my god, this is like Apatow level shrill. Like this yeah. is it's rough to watch, but I guess it serves a purpose. I don't know. Well, I'm not it's, making excuses. Um, for that. The one purpose it does serve is that she's Jewish, and it, it sets up a great set piece where oh. Efron wakes up uh, after a drunken that night. Set piece is like the best, unfriended esque. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> truly, what about the horrors of you know future technologies? Yeah, when you get FaceTime invaded while you're on a phone call. And uh, it was after a long night of smoking crack and getting dicks drawn on his face. Uh, so a swastika made out of dicks is on his forehead and he uses a Snapchat filter. Uh, and it's like a, a, like a fucking Hasidic Jew outfit Snapchat filter to cover himself up. Uh, and then, no disrespect. <laughs> and while that's happening, like he's in like uh like just sort of like it's a bee covering his dick and there's the child that's trying to rip it off of his body. Oh yeah. And as Gigi Allen once wrote, expose yourself to children. And I think Zach Efron was listening to that at the time. Yeah, it looked like Zac Efron was getting his dick sucked by a child. <laughs> yeah, that's the joke of that uh, the, whole scene. And you know what? It works. It works yeah. because he gets beat up by an old guy well, and gets arrested again. Well, I think it's funny again. that the guy, like, he, like, just beats him up and leaves. Like, yeah. with his yeah. son. He, <laughs> like, like, the cops but, arrest him, no questions yeah, asked. But, the like, guy leaves. Yeah, for all his, like, what that guy thinks is that <laughs> his son just sucked Zach Efron's dick. And then he's like, oh, well, we're fucking leaving. <laughs> he literally doesn't even beat him up. He just pushes him <laughs> on the ground, which is, like, the beach. So it's not even that bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> we need we need more stuff like this in movies. So he, they go visit Danny Glover, who gets his one day scene, you know, and he's like hooked up to an oxygen tank, and he's watching Alf on TV, and uh, just being an asshole, kind of a dirty grandpa. Oh type yeah, thing he's here. like sh the intro of him like shouting at with Alf, yeah. like on Alf's side, mm -hmm. is great. Yeah, that's really good. And then uh, it really fucks up old dirty grandpa. You know, he sees his friend on death door. On death's door. <laughs> God damn it, has to stay in. And he, you know, Efron wants to give up on his dirty ass grandpa, but he can't. And he has to just say, you know what? All right, I'll help you get laid by a 20-year-old, you 80-year-old man. <laughs> you dirty. Yeah, this It's all about family and and respect. As, as Aubrey Plaza says in the last scene, you're just a dirty, dirty grandpa. <laughs> Funny sex scenes are bad. We'll get to it, though. Uh, so the truth is unveiled in classic fashion. You know, oh, not before, though. They make some more friends, the local gang. Uh, so, you know, empathetically portrayed as, you know, the only black characters other than the gay guy who gets made fun of the whole time. This this is probably the like when people 
you could probably call this movie maybe racist, sex, you know, those type of homophobic, 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 sexist, misogynist. And but and this is where anti-Semitic, anti-Semitic. I mean, vaguely. Yeah, (laughs) if you're if you're a bitch. Um, Yeah. um, This is. I mean, I'm Jewish. This is. I, I am too um kind of but uh <laughs> <laughs> on the technicality on technicality um not ethnically i guess <laughs> god you're <laughs> digging yourself up <laughs> but um this is this is where i i literally was like all right this is might be a little too much <laughs> for yeah. me to even where i can't even like i can't really find any angle to enjoy this from (laughs) so they think that dirty grandpa has been kidnapped and they find him at the apartment with the gangsters they already confronted Uh where he beat them all up the first time he met them and he is listing the members of the wu-tang clan uh uh, not unlike the rabbi and a serious man uh talking about jefferson airplane (laughs) uh and it's you know that's how he gets their mad respect and then he asks if he can use the n-word and then they go do karaoke and what do you think he does yeah i mean that's funny i'm talking more about like <laughs> the like, second like, time he well, says it or no i mean both times are funny like it th- i'm talking more about like just the depiction <laughs> of them being like really homophobic to the oh, yeah. other gay black men in the club because there's rough. not even there's not even really a joke there it's like it you know what i mean it's yeah. like well like yeah it's just there's not really a joke it doesn't there, really yeah. wrap around the joke is that dirty grandpa beats them all up yeah <laughs> so it's like <laughs> yeah i you know maybe maybe i wag my finger at it's that like, just, it's weird because it's kind of like a sort of a woke posturing a yeah little bit but it's, it's still like, a lot of gay panic like he makes him repeat after him and he says like uh and if i had to be gay to prevent a uh, terrorist attack or something like that which is that is kind of that classic early 2000s gay panic film mm-hmm. comedy uh but yeah maybe that's the part you leave behind yeah yeah you know what Come on, dirty grandpa. Come on, yeah. do better, dirty do better. grandpa. Why don't, you, why don't you clean up your act? No, I don't give a shit. Honestly, all the dirty comedy in this movie is fine by me. It's funny. Yeah. It's like it's a very funny movie, and that's why it's like almost good. Uh, the Deutsch Efron stuff is unwatchable. Like mm-hmm. straight up, I don't know. Maybe uh, like I've become more detached to it on my second viewing, but I'm not that ironically detached from movies where that doesn't still make me cringe. Maybe someone just do a fan edit and cut yeah. out those gonna, parts of the film. Honestly, I could cut this down to eighty minutes because yeah. it's like a it's like an hour forty. Yeah, it's way yeah. too long. It, it's it's it, if it's eighty minutes and mm. you excise all of the non dirty grandpa, mm-hmm. if De Niro is fully the protagonist yeah uh and efron is just a side character who mm-hmm. has his little arc it's a great movie yeah efron i to defend efron like the stuff of zoe deutsch isn't good but i think the it's scenes hard to pull off yeah it's hard to pull off and like the scenes where you know at the party i think are kind of funny and all the stuff i like how he interacts with the narrow so this is a this is top you know for the efron heads i say this is some top tier work Oh, for sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, he has to be a total douchebag, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he's a corporate lawyer who's learning to unlock himself, and, like, he makes fun of her for being an environmentalist, and it's <laughs> like, yeah, all right, what? <laughs> yeah, tree hugger. Yeah, oh, God, come on. Like, is this, is this the Bratz movie all over again? <laughs> is, are they making paper or plastic you know, jokes? I was, I was like, you know, it almost has a little analog to Teorema, again, where you have someone breaking people out of their bourgeoisie values with uh you know sex even though it's not you know dirty the dirty grandpa does not fuck De Niro, uh <laughs> zach Niro, efron de niro does not fuck zach efron yeah. but as hey i would i would have i mean look 
he puts his dick right in his face. That's, That's as true. close as you're going to get in a mainstream American comedy, probably. Also, I, I mean, this movie kind of spurred a lot of interesting, weird takes, I would say. And, like, Armin White's kind of take about this being, like, Zac Efron's Paul Newman movie. Where, what? or something where, <laughs> where, oh God, you gotta love it. Yeah. Where it's cause like Efron's like nude body is, is kind of, per, or not even nude, just his body is definitely portrayed. It's on display. It's on yeah. display throughout the film, whether it be, you know, a full set piece where he's nude except for a stuffed animal or, or the flexing set piece, the flexing set piece or the outfits that they give him when he leaves jail mm, even or something course. like that. And like, uh, yeah. What do you call it? Um, Roman White, I, if I'm remembering the timber of his review, it's something along the lines like it's just good, like like gay camp or whatever. Which yeah. like I don't, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know if that was <laughs> you know. The from my perspective, <laughs> I can't. Uh, I can't. Uh, I can't exactly uh, see what he's uh, saying there. You know, uh, <laughs> my Obama voice. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> let me be clear. I watched this film with the traditional male gaze. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But yeah, I don't know. It I, it does feel weird those sequences. Yeah. Like it's or not weird. Um but it's just like it does feel like trying to like get like another audi- like by having Efron's body on display, it's like trying to like incorporate another audience mm-hmm. into the film that I feel like generally wouldn't be seeing like the gross out comedy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it had a little bit of spring breakers light in that sense too and a lot of the slow motion stuff on the beach set to music of the time if you will Mm -hmm. uh very much gave off that spring breakers vibe which hey you love to see the influence of classics (laughs) i was gonna say like so many set pieces pretty much stripped from spring Breakers. all the big parties all the big parties like almost like identical except you know it doesn't have doesn't quite have the cinematography to pull it off the cinematography is kind of shit in this movie it's a lot it's way too much like coverage like basically especially when you shoot in scope you can't be just like there's some really i gotta say it irresponsible editing and mise-en-scene in this movie especially for shooting in scope because there are a couple times where they're clearly aware of what they're doing on the golf course when they're in more wide open spaces they like Mm -hmm. take advantage of the scope frame Mm -hmm. even though there's a bit much on the cover side it gets pretty irresponsible during some of those more complicated set pieces with a lot of actors. Yeah, Mazer, you know, maybe you should read... Um, Jerry Lewis, the total filmmaker. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> something like Ozu on mise-en-scene. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's definitely not... I don't even think that's a thing that exists. <laughs> no. Read David Bordwell, The Poetics of Ozu. <laughs> yeah, yeah, read that. Um, and with that being said... <laughs> oh, no, so the end of the movie, yeah. Uh, they hate each other, and he goes back home, and Dirty Grandpa is sad now because Zac Efron went back to his square-ass wife. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a little wedding sequence where uh, the bitch wife sings, like, a romantic song. That he had sang at karaoke with Zoe Deutsch. And it just it just doesn't feel the same with her. Of you course know? not. And, and especially because there's a corresponding slideshow that's yeah. supposed to be Martha's Vineyard, but instead, Robert De Niro got a guy to hack it. Yeah. And he was putting, I guess, the pictures that De Niro had been taking on his phone. <laughs> we see this once. We see yeah. him take one picture throughout the movie. I guess he took a lot. And a lot of them where he's just like making out with random girls you've never met so yeah. far in the movie. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It gets his, like, There's a dog fucking Efron as the closer. Oh, yeah, yeah. I liked that. Goofy. Yeah. You have a vodka bottle in his ass. Um, yeah. Getting dome from an old lady. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's <laughs> a classic comedy hits. <laughs> and then I got to say, it's a little weird when he like breaks up with her. And it's a pretty fun gag where yeah. um, 
I I say pretty fun where it's just making fun of people with disabilities <laughs> that don't allow them to speak properly, quote unquote <laughs> properly, uh, for the situation that is. Yeah. Uh, but then when he finally just like breaks up with her, she's just like, "Well, I fucked the Adam Pally character." Yeah. And it's just like that's kind mm-hmm. of a rude turn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't need that. Yeah, it's like it just makes the bitch wife more unlikable. Dan and Mazer. Like, why- do better (laughs) do you have a problem with women maybe you want to talk about it the i I did like the beat though that like adam pally does not tell adam pally does not tell him sorry no it's fine eddie was telling me to get the mic closer and he's right so i'm sorry folks oh man 23 episodes in (laughs) you're drifting this is my jordan episode 23 but um 22 that is oh yeah whatever um yeah i don't know i'm done talking (laughs) <laughs> yeah so yeah, that's, that's then they it. have a big set piece that again irresponsible driving's climax like you should mm-hmm. do better in terms of a chase set piece but it's pretty funny you know yeah in jason manzoukas's ice cream truck they chase down the bus that zoe deutsch is in for love and uh they go away on the bus together and happily ever after eh, the ending's kind of stupid it's so weird how much a comedic premise and what we call the promise of the premise being filled can outweigh the flaws of a movie because I'm still giving this three bullets and I pretty much hate this movie, <laughs> but there are an hour and five minutes or so of fucking gold mm-hmm. in here. I, yeah, I'm going to give it three and a half bullets. I, I originally had it at four stars that might have been a little bit generous. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe trying to buck the trend a little. Buck the trend. <laughs> maybe you know, you know, be a little reactionary to the current state of comedy. But uh, no, it's it's funny. I mean, honestly, when you watch comedy movies like this, you know, directed by people who you know are not the most artistically inclined, it's just like how much of this is funny? What percentage of the jokes hit? And for me, a lot of it's funny, and a lot of that's because of De Niro and Efron. They kill it, and you know, Madzukas, yeah. Money Manzukas, as Hollywood likes to call him, because <laughs> yeah. he keeps bringing in those box office stubs. <laughs> did you guys see the house? The house. Neither did anybody listening to this. Oh, is that the? Is that like a? It was Amy like Poehler? Will Ferrell oh, and, and like a Jason Manzukas was in it. I think Will Ferrell was in it though. Yeah, but it came out like a year and a half, two years ago. True. Ferrell did not watch. Ferrell fucking up as lately. Yeah, <laughs> definitely messing up. What about you, JT? Uh, I'm gonna have to agree with you. It's uh, three bullets for me. Like I don't know, you've both summed it up pretty concisely. Like the funny parts, like really work when it's on, it's on, and that's all that really matters. The the like the contrived aspects of the plot are really just forgivable for the moments where it's really on and. Uh, yeah, three bullets. Yeah, and we mentioned the sex scene earlier. Funny sex scenes aren't good. This one, almost good. Yeah, The Aubrey good. Plaza, Dirty Grandpa sex scene that ends this film. And they do know how to do a payoff, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like, this is like, that's what you do. You resolve the plot, and then you have a just 10 minutes of extra movie to fill out the time <laughs> that just fills out everything the audience could possibly ask for. Yeah, and, you know, you wanted to see him have sex with Aubrey Plaza and... Then you did. Then you did. And you go home and, you know, you're happy that you paid for a movie ticket rather than staying home. Yeah. And you tell your friends about how you and your cousin saw Aubrey Plaza naked at the movies. (laughs) (laughs) That basically wraps it up for this week. You know, we don't have any emails, which is okay because we were running long. Yeah. This this is what a two hour episode. Yeah. Three hours. What is this? The Irishman? (laughs) Is this the the Irishman? (laughs) 
No, it's a podcast. <laughs> hey, uh, we have a lot of fun with like some great Italians. Yeah, yeah, I love this. Is like our most super Italian episode mm-hmm. for sure. I and think it, we can do better. No, yeah, and it's also it is racist to make fun of Italians and make Italian jokes. I that's I, true. You like racism. <laughs> You're fucking racist. <laughs> Just admit it. <laughs> Just admit it. You like racism. Italians are white. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> But I did see the Irishman, which convinced me otherwise. <laughs> they do a lot about a, uh, Italian representation in that movie. Mm-hmm. Man, my voice is going to shit. I guess it's time to wrap it up. Yeah. You can reach us at extendedclippodcast at gmail.com. Isn't it 69 extended clip? Six, no, it's not. That's our at on Twitter. Okay. Or you can find us on Twitter at extendedclip69. <laughs> I get confused sometimes. I'm sorry. It's okay. I mean, we've given out the wrong email address on the show. No, yeah. We, we've hashed this out like a few times. <laughs> You'll find. Does. Once again, extended clip podcast at gmail.com. On Twitter, I'm at iPod Video. I'm at underscore in between those two words. I'm at uh, James Healy on Twitter. <laughs> He's at Swedish Lincoln. Thank you <laughs> very much. Swedish Lincoln. And I run the Bad Film Takes account too. <laughs> that's that's where you can find me on Twitter. Um, I'm at Tall Boy Thin Legs. Bye. <laughs> 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 Iced another one. <laughs> I feel like I was going crazy there. Thanks, Grandpa. On. Jason. Yeah? Back in the 80s, when Andre the Giant used to go to the Playboy Mansion, he'd stack five playmates on top of each other on a bed and finger fuck them all, five at a time, because his hands were so big. That's it.